Welcome to Clock Out, the Vicarious Life Podcast. This is for the mavericks of the world who are embracing freedom and discovering purpose. Need a surge of inspiration? You're in the right place. I'm your host, Tracy Miller, a free-spirited, joy-seeking entrepreneur who is on a mission to find like-minded, open-hearted freebirds to share their stories of triumph, struggle, and inspiration. Until you're ready for your own adventure, let's clock out and live vicariously through others who have blazed the trail. and welcome to the next episode of Clock Out the Vicarious Life. Today, as always, I am super excited because I have Tabitha Fritz. She is an entrepreneur who once found herself feeling completely miserable after achieving her goals. I can relate to that. As the co-founder and CEO of Fritz Cannabis Company, a regulated edibles producer in Toronto, Canada, Tabitha expected to feel fulfilled and satisfied once she and her partner established the company in the regulated marketplace. But instead, she found herself waking up miserable, crying in her bed, going to bed, feeling like she was dreading the next morning and realizing that this was no way to live. This challenging time inspired Tabitha to engage in some serious soul searching and what she found would change her life forever. As she did the hard work of digging her true self out from underneath the sands of time, she channeled into a form of, of to, to form a program of self-discovery called Unleash Your Potential, a guided journey to finding our purpose and live a life of meeting. Um, Tabitha, tell us all about yourself. That's what we're here for. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Um, boy, when someone says tell you all about yourself, that's like, it feels like I'm in an interview now. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> no, I just mean this is your uh, this is your time. We get to hear. There's a lot to uh, to dive into here. I'm excited to hear about your journey. Yeah, well, you know what i I believe that we all we all experience our our journeys for a variety of reasons. And for me, I think one of those reasons is to share my experiences with others, um, so that they can hopefully, you know, some people got to learn the hard way and I might be one of those people, but not everybody does. So if your listeners could learn something from my journey, then that would be absolutely wonderful. So thank you for the opportunity to be here today and to talk to them. Um, where should I start? I don't know. I, you know, I want to know all about cannabis. I am not a uh, smoker, an eater, a consumer of any, in any way, shape or form. I have of course dabbled. Um, but I'm pretty ignorant to it. So, and I'm, I'm not sure how much my followers are into cannabis, but I think it's something that's hot on everybody's mind. It's something politically that you have to follow in order to just kind of know what's going on, both in Canada and the U.S. Um, and there's, I mean, there's medicinal purposes. I feel like there's a ton of myth, controversy. Um, so yeah, can we start with how you got into the industry? Yes. Okay. So great place to start. Let me uh, okay, so let me first tell you how I first came to even understand the cannabis plant at all. When I was about almost 30, I met my now husband, and I can tell you the story of us meeting, that might be a topic for another time, but that's a, a really cool story in and of itself. But uh, when I met my husband, now my husband, he likes weed probably more than anything on the planet. Like he likes weed more than our kids, for sure. He's, he really likes weed. So when I met him, I had never consumed cannabis. Like I, you know, I smoked it once when I was 19 with my friend and then we ate like a five pound bag of frozen strawberries and a tub of Cool Whip like you do. And I was like, oh, that's fun. I guess that's what people do that for. Okay, it's not for me. I have other stuff to do. Fine, whatever. 
So, you know, fast forward 12 years and I had just met my husband. And at the time that I'd met my husband, I was going through a divorce. I was closing out the divorce from my first husband. And I had just been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, generalized okay. anxiety because I, I found myself at my therapist, at a therapist. And I was like, I can't catch my breath. Like I keep taking deep breaths and I can't catch my breath. And she was like, yeah, that's anxiety. And I was like, what? Like, what is this word anxiety? She was like, yes, that's anxiety. We're going to start working on this. I was like, oh, I don't think I like this. I'm not, I don't know if I'm into this. So that's where I was when I had met my husband, right? So just really sort of learning about anxiety and, and, and understanding that I had this disorder around it. And realizing that I had to change things in my life in order to become more healthy, because the way that I was approaching challenges in my life was not the best way for me, right? I was doing everything I could to just um, drown out the, the difficult times. I was drinking alcohol more than I should to just sort of dissociate from all of the stresses and the pain that I was feeling. And I wanted to approach it differently. I, I knew that it wasn't working for me and it didn't feel good. So I met my husband. And I, you know, shared my experiences with him and I was telling him about my anxiety. And he said to me, have, have you ever tried weed? And I was like, no, that's, you know, that's not a thing for me. And he was like, you know what? You really might want to try it. Like it might help a lot. So I was like, all right, you know, I'm willing to try anything. I had been, my, my doctor had prescribed me Xanax, which I had been taking. And like, I hated it. I would lose entire days of my life. I couldn't remember. I felt like zonked out. So I was like, yeah, you know, I, I would like to try something else that maybe makes me feel a little better while I'm using it. So I tried weed and it was like this sort of magic quiet space opened up inside me. And I now all of a sudden had the opportunity to actually step back from my life and examine the roots of my anxiety. It was like being given the key to a quiet room when you had lived your whole life in chaos. Suddenly it was like, I could enter into this experience, right? So I would often consume at night. I lived by myself. I would, you know, come home from work and I was in an apartment building. I would go up to the roof of the apartment building and smoke like a little pinner and then come back to my apartment and sit for hours. You know, I would sit, I would meditate. I would think I would explore these like really challenging feelings and emotions that I had that I'd never really explored before and had just try attempted to like shove down inside me. So for me, cannabis was really the tool that allowed me to access myself in a way that I never had before. And I credit it as being the tool that truly allowed me to heal myself from my anxiety disorder. It gave me the space to do the work that I needed to do to become healthy. And I don't know, I'm sure there are other ways to find that space. But for me, it was an incredibly powerful tool uh, when used with intention. So you know, in my work now, and as I speak to people, you know, in different aspects of life, especially about cannabis, I, I often and almost always really tell them that cannabis is a, a substance that is best consumed with intention. So there are lots of different ways to use cannabis. You know, sometimes you might want to get high. That's fine. That's an appropriate intention. Sometimes, sometimes you're using it for your health. I have a very close family member who has used the cannabinoid CBG to um, come off of prescription medications that they were on for 35 years. So, you know, there are really powerful mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, mental, social health benefits that can come from intentional cannabis consumption. So 
with that sort of as my framework for how I approach cannabis or how I think of cannabis as a tool for people's health, my husband and I had the opportunity in, it was 2015, 2016, to start an edibles company in the underground here in Toronto. So in Toronto at the time, cannabis had not yet been made legal, but there were many sort of gray market dispensaries that were open around town that people would go and shop in. And on May 26, 2016, the Toronto Police Services conducted what was called the Project Claudia Raids. And they went around and they raided all of these illicit dispensaries around town. They confiscated all the product that was there. They made some arrests. They took the money from these, uh, from these stores. And then, you know, a few weeks later, the outcome was sort of that the stores were allowed to reopen because they recognized that cannabis was becoming legal soon and that people were using these stores to access and patients were using these stores to access their medical products. So they all, and I think sort of also they realized that like, you're not going to shut it down, right? Like they're just going to pop up somewhere else. So you might as well collaborate and work together in, in whatever way is possible. So they allowed these stores to open back up with the caveat that they could not sell edibles or concentrates or topicals. So anything that was produced was not allowed to be sold. You could sell dried flour or you could sell, I mean, fresh flour if you had it, but nobody sold that. So it was pretty much just dried flour that were sold in these shops. Well, you had all of these consumers who had been used to accessing edibles or other products from these shops who were no longer able to do so. So there were two women in Toronto at the time, Sarah Gillies and Lisa Campbell. And they said, you know what? Let's make access. And they started these sort of underground farmers markets for cannabis products. They didn't sell dried flour at the markets, but they sold edibles. We sold, you know, beverages like teas. There were topicals there. There were all sorts of different products that people had made that they were selling at these markets. So my husband and I kind of looked at each other, like we're both entrepreneurial. We both have MBAs. We like business. We've been making edibles for a while for ourselves and for our family and friends. And, you know, we're, we're both also very risk tolerant, which helps. And we were like, let's start a business. Like, let's do this. Let's start a little brand. Let's start making edibles. So we did. We started our company called Fritz's Cannabis Company, which my husband named after me. I did not name the company after myself. Um, and we started making edibles, right? We started making gummies and cereal bars and granola and caramel corn and lollipops and hard candies and brownies and all different things. Um, and, you know, worked from just selling a little bit at a small table to much bigger operations where we were actually selling edibles to a number of different stores in the greater Toronto area. Uh, and, and then when the, you know, we were able to not in Toronto, but like in other stores that allowed edible sales. So, you know, we grew this business over time and we both kind of, you know, we knew that we wanted to um, transition to the regulated market when it became available to us. Like that was always the goal, right? We're starting this little company now and when Canada legalizes weed and we can go and be a regulated company, like that's what we want to do. We want to be a real company, right? Like it's not fun having child services show up at your door and being like, oh, what are you guys doing in here? Right. I don't want that for my life. So when the when Canada legalized weed, we actually were able to make it happen. We got connected with a facility who were, were looking for companies to put in their facility we connected with some investors who would help us raise the money that we needed to, to grow this company. And we did it. We transitioned. We, um, we started, you know, making products in the regulated market. We got products into the market, sold in legal stores. 
Um, and so we did it. We were the first, one of the only edibles companies in Canada to transition successfully from the underground market to the regulated marketplace. And it was incredibly challenging, right? It, it's essentially going from one business skill set to an entirely different business skill set, right? Sure. Being an underground entrepreneur who is breaking the law and doing whatever they want to versus someone who's running a business in a highly regulated industry. Those are two really different skill sets, right? And I did not anticipate what a transition that was going to be. I thought that I would be able to take a lot of my, you know, entrepreneurial skills, doing things that I loved, focusing on the plant that changed my life, that I wanted to help other people learn how to, how it could change their life too. Those things did not translate to the regulated marketplace. The regulated marketplace was about, you know, um, uh, margin management and direct sales to provincial agencies and like nothing fun. Right. So I ended up like I achieved my goal. I did the thing that I wanted to do. I successfully transitioned this company into the regulated marketplace, but Holy crap was I miserable. I did not realize I was signing up for something that I would hate. So that's where I found myself in, uh, I guess it was, it was about a year ago. That I was like, I got to make a change. So. Okay, so two couple of little questions for you. What year was this that Canada legalized and you started your transition over? Canada legalized on, I want to get this right, October 17, I think, 2018. That was when Canada legalized. However, edibles were not legal for the next year. Okay. So they did not put forward the regulations until 2019. Okay. So you, you did this about five years, then you ran a, a real, a real business that you were having. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and how big yeah, was your operation? Exactly. <laughs> um, so we, I mean, it was, it was significant, right? We had sales of over a million dollars. So, you know, we were, we did quite well. Um, our sales were higher once we got to the regulated industry because our market was much larger. Right. And suddenly, instead of just selling to small individual community pockets, we were able to sell to all of Ontario. So we were in two provinces, Ontario and Saskatchewan. Um, uh, yeah. And just you and your husband or did you guys have a bit? How big was your team? So it was my husband. So I ran essentially all of the business operations. And my husband is the creative genius behind the products. His his title was chief gummy officer. So he ran the kitchen, he ran all the manufacturing and we had, you know, we had employ. I think we had a, maybe eight employees at once at our largest. Um, so, I mean, they, you know, we were a good sized company and we were, you know, making edibles every day in a, in a licensed facility. So okay. we were busy. Yeah. Two things that you hated about this that made it difficult, that would be, um, you know, maybe surprising or interesting for somebody that's thinking about how, because I hear this all the time, it'd be so easy to get into this business. So easy. I'm just going to get a license and start <laughs> this. What should they know? You should know that it's highly regulated, right? And like, it, it may be, it's a little, it's less regulated in the States than it is in Canada, but it is still going to be really highly regulated, at least for a while, right? Like this is a new product. We're just coming out of like prohibition, hundred years of prohibition. This has not been normalized. People don't know how to access it. People don't know how to use it. People don't know what they can use it for, right? Other than like people are, obviously people know they can get high, but there are so many ways to use cannabis with intention other than just getting high. So, you know, I think that for one thing, you're going to have an uphill battle with regards to education because you are going to have to educate all of your consumers 
about the features and the benefits of your products, why they should use them, you know, all of that. So number one, really consider, consider how ignorance, not the right word, but like just sort of unaware or uneducated the consumer is right. Um, And number one, and number two, I guess that that was actually number two. Number one was the regulations, right? You're going to have to operate within a lot of rules. So don't complain about them. Learn what they are um, and figure out creative ways to do your business within them because they're not going to change. They're not going to go away and don't spend your energy, you know, raging about them, but just you got to find out what they all are. So before anyone starts a cannabis business, they really need to look into the regulations in their specific locality in their state, understand what they are and understand like what's going to be required to really start your business, right? Because when you're operating in a highly regulated industry, it's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to take a lot of time to get things done. It's really challenging to bootstrap something in a highly regulated space. So those would be my, um, I think, words of wisdom for anyone looking to do that. Super, super good. Um, Okay. Two follow-up question to that. What are your thoughts on legalizing all drugs? That's a Any great question. Yeah, I I really think that all drugs should be legalized and regulated because A, people are going to access them anyways. So we might as well make sure that people have a safe supply to what they're going to access instead of people, you know, dying from fentanyl overdoses on the street because they're trying to get their medicine. That's not the society that we want to live in. So I from a pro, from a public health perspective, I I believe that all Drugs should be legalized and regulated so that people can access something safe. Um, And with regards specifically to more psychedelic substances, so like cannabis would kind of fall in there, but also, you know, mushrooms or psilocybin or uh, LSD or DMT or any of those molecules, I think that they have an incredible value, both spiritually and socially, when they are used, again, with intention. So, um, I, I, I'm a big, so this is probably something we'll talk about later, but my personal mission in life is to create tools and spaces where people are able to access their ability to heal themselves. And I believe that like cannabis, most psychedelics are very powerful tools that allow people to find the space to heal themselves from, you know, their traumas or the challenges or whatever. Sure. Okay. Yes, we are going to go there as soon as I'm done picking your brain. <laughs> I hate that term, picking your brain, by the way, and I just used it. Shame on me. Um, and by the way, I, I agree with you on legalizing drugs and to for part part two to what you just mentioned, the regulation in order for it to be safe and for you know people to have testing centers to be able to be educated on what they're actually consuming, to be able to go to a place legally run their drugs, know what's in it, know the dose, and then know what proper doses are, know what the actual use is. It's, it blows my mind. The number of people that I, um, that I encounter that don't even know what a, like what a drug is like, you know, meth, oh, meth is, and then they name off these crazy things. And it's like, that's, that's not even true, but they're active users of this substance. It's like, man, education and information that can be readily available in a truthful matter instead of your neighborhood, um, young entrepreneur doing the educating. Oh, this is the good stuff. No, this is safe. This is fine. Right. Um, and then part two to that is just taking away the black market, taking away the violence, the crime, the underlying, um, industry that's, that's 
running it. And it, without that, you take away the power of those that are, that are um, engaging in selling and um, dealing and killing each other, cartel, all that good stuff. So anyway, I agree with you on that 100%. Um, and then let's see, next question I had for you. You moved your production of gummies, edibles, et cetera, into then educating bud tenders. What did that look like? What was, what was that stage? When did that start? And what kind of education did you do? And where do you get your education in order to, pay, to pass it forward to consumers and to bud tenders that you're teaching? So my education sort of actually bookended my the Fritz's experience, the edibles experience. So I'm an education an educator by background. I am uh, I'm a licensed public school teacher in the state of New Jersey. I taught cool. American history <laughs> to middle school students there for five years before I moved here. Um, and I I love teaching. Like it's one of my favorite things to do. And and pretty much every job I've ever had has had a component of teaching in it. Like it's it really lights me up. To, to explain something to somebody in a way that makes sense to them, right? Like that's, I, I get a lot of juice out of that. So I had been working, so I, uh, in 2014, I graduated from my MBA. I got my master's in business administration from the University of Toronto. And then I started working at the University of Toronto, working on the capstone course for their MBA program. I was doing a whole bunch of different things. It was a very entrepreneurial role and I loved it. I worked there for about five years. And then while I was working there, I went to um, an event. There was a, a group called Elementa and they put on like these cannabis events for women to learn how to use cannabis, you know, to, you know, help have a better period or use it for sex or these different things, women, female applications of cannabis. So we were, I had been working with Fritz's for a while at this point. This was in 20, 2019. This was in March of 2019. So I had been working with Fritz's for a few years at this point. And in that work with the edibles, as I mentioned before, we were selling at these underground farmers markets, these green markets. And so I would literally, you know, sit at a, at a table selling my products to my customers who would come to the other side of the table for me. And so that experience allowed me to ask a lot of really qualitative consumer research-based questions. How are you using this product? What are you going to do with it? What, how many times a day do you use it? You know, what does it look like? What flavors do you like? What formats do you like? What are the outcomes you're seeking? All these different questions that I was able to understand from the consumer standing right across from me. And I developed this like pretty significant body of research about consumer preferences and consumer understandings. At the same time, I was fielding emails very frequently through our website from people saying, how do I use cannabis for this, right? Parents who would say, my kid has epilepsy. How do I treat them with cannabis oil? Or people who are like, my dog has joint issues. How do I help him with CBD, right? Like people with these like very intentional questions about how do I use cannabis to treat this specific condition or achieve this focused outcome? Uh, but like all different things at ranging from like, how do I use cannabis to, to help me get over my addiction to cigarettes, right? Like so lots of different use cases. So as an entrepreneur and as an intelligent person who, who cares about wanting to help people, I researched like crazy. So when somebody would come to me with these questions, I'm not going to give them false information. I'm either going to say, I don't know, or I'm going to say, here's the information that I found complete, you know, with footnotes and links to the documents that I researched through. So the process of doing that allowed me to learn so much about cannabis and how it works. So 
going back to this Elementa meeting, somebody in the audience asked one of the panelists, how does the endocannabinoid system work? And the panelists answered, and it wasn't an answer that really gave anybody any information. So from the back of the room, I just kind of raised my hand and said, can I you know, answer that question as well? And uh, whoever was leading the discussion said, yeah, for sure. So I stood up and I said, you know, the endocannabinoid system is essentially like a padlock. You can think of it like that. And if you have a lock on your padlock, that's like your endocannabinoid receptors. So the purpose of the system is to facilitate communication between different body systems, right? If I, um, let's say I, there's a knock at my door and it freaks me out. And I all of a sudden have like all this adrenaline in my system and I got to calm down and get it together. Well, that happened because my brain was able to communicate with my blood, which was able to communicate with my heart, which was able to communicate with my endocrine system, that all of these things needed to happen like that. Well, those systems don't speak the same language, but they're able to communicate with each other through the endocannabinoid system. So you have all of these little communication portals that are like a padlock locking mechanism. Now, THC comes along and it's like the key. It goes inside the padlock, turns, the padlock opens, and stuff starts happening on the other side. I get high, my sense of time changes, my eyes get red and dry, I get dry mouth, right? All these different things happen with THC versus CBD, which is like if I took some wax from, if I had a lit candle and I took the wax and I poured it into the locking mechanism and then I let it cool. Now, all of a sudden I can't get my THC in there anymore. It won't go in and interact because the CBD is blocking it, right? So that was, that's sort of the explanation that I use when I'm explaining the endocannabinoid system to people. So I gave that explanation and then everyone was like, oh yeah, okay, no, that makes a lot of sense. And then at the end of the meeting, two women came up to me and they said, we are working with a new retailer here in Ontario. We're going to have 35 locations across Ontario. We really like the way you talk about weed. We'd like you to come talk about weed for us. So I said, great, let's do it. Uh, and it was really my dream job. So I moved to that company. It was named Mihi. And I was their director of cannabis education. So my role there was to develop their proprietary bud tender education program. You know, like, a, like the... Um, the executives at that company had come from TD Bank. So they were very familiar with solid employee education and what a good onboarding program looks like and you know the resources and time you have to put into it. So over the next year, I developed their bud tender education program as well as their consumer facing education program using all the skills that I developed over the last few years. Well, so then- Is this, sorry, is this information that you're giving, is it regulated as well as part of the cannabis laws or is this still kind of anything goes? So the regulations around the information that, so there are very specific regulations around what bud tenders are allowed to talk to consumers about. Okay. They are not allowed to give any medical advice. They are not allowed to uh, definitively state that a product will have an outcome. So there are, it's really like nothing very onerous the regulations require bud tenders to be very specific and precise and um, factual in the information that they give. So in order to do that, you got to have a really solid understanding of the information to begin with, right? Absolutely. Yep. So I developed those programs for them. Um, and then 2020 came along and, you know, the world fell apart and everything went crazy. And that company, unfortunately, closed. They had opened two stores and then had to close because of COVID. And, you know, no one's going to retail shops because everything's closed and locked down. Um, and so I found myself 
like stuck in my house in lockdown, not able to do anything. I didn't have a job because my company had closed. And I was like, what am I going to do? So I locked myself in my closet and I built a bud tender education program for myself. I said, look, I have all of this information. I have all of these learnings. I know how to do this. I know I understand, you know, andragogy. I understand curriculum design. I can put this whole thing together. So that's what I did. I spent, you know, a month and a half putting it together. I have a whole e-learning program that I built and I have an in-person um, bud tender education program that I deliver, you know, to stores and to retail chains. Wow. So I forget what the original question was that you asked me that I've arrived there now. So I don't know if I answered. Well, that was it. <laughs> How you got into education and yeah, basically, um, basically where you get your information in order to teach how you pay it forward. And that was really what I was looking at was the regulation, if it's strict there. Because as you said, we're still, we as a world, because um, I would say world, there's very few places that are, we're all kind of in the same spot with legalizing marijuana. Um, but anyway, we're all building the system. We're all starting to legalize. We're starting to regulate. And it's like this, this transition. So last question, I guess, that I had that's burning on that is, Thoughts on the legalization of cannabis in your country, Canada, how that kind of parallels with the U.S., which is where the majority of our listeners are coming from. What are your thoughts there? So uh, I think Canada was a really good country to go first because they were very conservative and they, um, they took a very risk-averse approach that I think has highlighted the challenges to business when you prioritize public health and safety over the business case. So, you know, the regulators in Canada, Health Canada, they have stated repeatedly that they, they don't care about the business case. The reasons that, can, that cannabis was legalized here were to um, protect public health and safety by ensuring that of age Canadians had access to like quality, safe, regulated weed, that we prevent youth from accessing cannabis, and that we removed profits from the pockets of criminals. Those were that was those were the three aims of legalization for Health Canada, and those are all great aims. But you cannot separate the business case from the health and safety case, right? And so Health Canada has repeatedly stated that they don't care about the business case. They're not. They don't care that the excise taxes are insane and that you know producers can't carry out business, and they don't care that no one's making any money, and they don't. They don't care. Because public health and safety is the most important thing. But unfortunately, if you don't care about the business case, you're not going to have robust, sophisticated businesses that are actually able to serve your customers and give them the products that they want, right? So there are a lot of challenges that business face, be, fa the businesses face because of that. So I have a lot of hope that U.S. states will do it better, right? Like California has already made a better approach at it than we have. Um, New York is doing a great job right now with the Office of Cannabis Management, you know, focusing on social equity and making sure that entrepreneurs who are traditionally not able to get into this marketplace can, people of color, women, you know, people like that. So I think various states are taking different approaches that are really a lot better and more balanced in the way that Canada did it, right? Like you got to balance public health and safety with business. They, if you don't do both, you're going to fail on all of it. Absolutely. So I have a lot of, um, I have a lot of hope for the States. And like, I, I, you know, I'm from Michigan originally, actually. So when I go back there to visit my family, I always go to the weed shops and I love it. 
right? It's like, it's so, it's, it's what it should be. There are jars of weed available that I can look at, that I can smell, that I can talk to the bud tender about. It's not this sterile experience of everything in packages and we're not allowed to, you know, discuss the benefits of this product, sure. right? It's, it's, I, I, I think the states are going to do it a lot better than Canada. And I think that all the other countries that come after that are going to have, you know, you're going to have the Canadian and then 50 U.S. test cases to look at. So, there will be a lot of variety and a lot of options for different countries to choose from and, and to pick what makes the most sense for them. Awesome. Very, very cool. Um, wealth of knowledge. Very good educator. You're very um, good talker. <laughs> I could sit and listen all day is what I'm saying. But um, as promised, we want to make sure we save enough time to dig into now because you pivoted as um, I guess the burnout or the the uh, bureaucracy of this regulated business has pushed you in another direction. Tell me about what you've got going on now with content development. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I don't I don't know what to call it. Content creation, content development is certainly one aspect of it. But I, um, so about a year ago, it was December of 2022. And I, I left Fritz's. I was like, this is, I can't do this anymore. I got to, you know, go do something else where I can be happy. So I, um, oh, the, the one thing, one positive externality that had come out of that difficult, challenging time at Fritz's is that I realized during that time that I needed to have some kind of routine that book ended my day that gave me positive energy that, that allowed me to connect with myself and like feel better. So I started, you know, morning practice and I would sit every day and I would, how am I feeling today? What am I grateful for? Um, I would pull three tarot cards for myself, interpret those based on whatever question that I had asked and then do either a meditation or a reflection. So that was my morning sort of process. And then in the evening, I would sit, I would reflect on the things that I had done throughout the day. I would, you know, just bullet point journal. These are all the things that I did today. So it kind of gave me this like, spiritual bookend to my day that allowed me to reconnect with my higher self, with my guides, with myself, even though I'd been focused on this, you know, business challenge, a very grounded, very earthly thing all day. So when I stepped away from the business, I was very much in the space of going, you know, these two things that I've been doing, they have given me life. They have gotten me through this really challenging time. So I want to keep developing those. So I spent a lot of time in meditation and I was like, you know, is this, I'm a teacher, is this something that I can teach to other people some way, right? Like this really helped me. Can I teach these to other people? And so I developed this, um, it's just like a printable and it's, I called it the essential planner for vibrational alignment. And it was a page for my morning practice. And then uh, like a planner page with like, this is my intentions for the day. This is, you know, seven to six. These are my goals what I'm going to do for the day, and then space for my bullet journaling at the bottom. So it was sort of a place where I could collect everything in one place and work on it throughout the day. And then I had everything available to me. Um, and so as I was putting that together and talking to people about, you know, what would work for you? How would this help you? I sort of, I use the word channeling because I don't know what else to call it, but I just received these downloads of information. I just all of a sudden had this information in me about the way that I had actually approached 
this process for myself over the past few years. So in order for me to figure out what was going on with me, what was wrong with me, what I needed to do in order to feel fulfilled, what my potential was, what my path in life was, I essentially channeled this sort of six step process that helped me figure that out. So my first step was to figure out my core values. What are my personal core values? What are the things that are really important to me? Then my next step was to see my vision. What is the vision that I have for the world? Where's the world that we're trying to get to? Like, what do I, where am I trying to go with everything that I'm doing? And then I worked on figuring out my mission. What is my purpose on this planet? Why am I here? What things am I doing on a day-to-day basis that helped me get to the place in my vision, that helped the world get there? And then the fourth step was understanding vibrational alignment. So this one took a while because I had to really understand what that meant. Like I received these words, vibrational alignment. And I was like, what is that? Why did I receive these words? And as I processed and thought and meditated and spoke with my guides more, what I came to understand is that in our lives, when our mission, vision, and values are all aligned together, they're all working together and we are achieving the things we're meant to achieve, we become so much more powerful because everything that we do is aligned with our purpose. We never have to struggle. We never have to work outside of ourselves. We can have faith and know that every single step we take, as long as it feels like the right step and you trust yourself and you trust your gut, then you know that that's the right step. Even if it doesn't seem to make any sense because you can feel the vibrational alignment within you. And then, so that was the fourth step. And then the fifth step was uh, goal setting goals and achieving them. So now like very practically how you've got all these things are aligned together, but like, what are you going to do? That's nice to be like, I'm aligned. I feel very good. Okay. But like, what are you going to achieve? You have stuff to do. You came to this planet for a reason. How are you going to do it? That's the fifth step. And then the sixth part is on thoughts and beliefs. So like, what are these thoughts and beliefs that are running around in our head all the time? For me, I had, um, I'm still working through them. I probably will my whole life, but you know, real significant things around money and spirituality. Like I have this like real deep seated thing that like spiritual people aren't rich. Spiritual people don't have money, which is bullshit. That's not true at all, right? Like money is simply an energetic form of currency on our planet that allows resources to move from one place in a society to another. And as an entrepreneur and a business owner, you think I'd know that, but I still have this internalized garbage, you know, whether it's from me or from my parents or from past generation, you know, both my grandpas were preachers. So who knows? It might be like intergenerational trauma. I have no idea. But like, these are the things that I have to work through and examine those thoughts and those beliefs that I have in order to maintain my vibrational alignment and trust myself and trust every single step that I make. So the pivot now is to work with clients specifically on this sort of six step process. So I do personal coaching sessions with people, you know, I'll take people we have, we'll do six coaching sessions around this whole thing. I give them work to do. They do the work. We talk about it. Um, I have a, an online course called Unleash Your Potential that takes people through the six steps on their own. They can do that on their own. Um, I have a tarot reading practice. So for people that that resonates with, I do a lot of tarot readings. They're really, they're quite in-depth and they're, you know, I do like a whole PDF thing. Some people, they'll be like, oh, I'll tell you if you're going to fall in love with somebody. That's not my style at all. I do things that are more like, what is your purpose on this planet? A reading around that sort of thing. So 
Um, and then I'm starting a YouTube channel. Like I, I mentioned before, it's uh, at Tabitha Fritz Alignment. And it will be focused on these things, right? So it'll be, um, I'll do some live readings, I think on there, not live, but there'll be recorded readings for people to examine, see if it resonates with them and stuff like that. But then I'm, I'm planning to do quite a bit of teaching on vibrational alignment on all of those topics that I mentioned um, and on how people can access their own potential and like be the person that they really came here to be. That's what I wanna do. I wanna help people be their best, right? So that's what I'm focused on now. Awesome. That's uh, not something that you would expect. First of all, I've never met anybody that has set down the cannabis industry. I mean, it just feels like that's something that once you're in it, that's, that's kind of your thing. Um, so that's cool. I admire your courage to be able to pivot when things don't feel right. Um, trust me, I, I relate to that and I very much admire it and I wish that more people would be brave enough to do that. But it's also great that there's people like you that are willing to help guide people through that process. Cause it's terrifying when, when somebody sets down something that they've, um, thought to always be their, their purpose or their, you know, even something as silly as, well, I went to college to be an accountant. I have to be an accountant, you know, and then for them to realize that, you know, maybe 20 years later, like, you know, I'm miserable. I want to do something else. It's great to have somebody that's done it, that has these, these tools and this passion for teaching to help guide them to get to wherever their next place is. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. I'm super excited. I'm going to make sure that I put your YouTube channel as well as your website uh, in our show notes so people can go and log in. I might have to get a tarot reading from you because I'm all into that. Super yeah. fun. <laughs> um, and what, um, I guess, where else can people find you if they're interested? Anything else besides the YouTube that you want to direct people to? You know what, people, you can send me a message through my website. There's a contact form in there. I'm happy to connect with people that way. Uh, I, you know what, I recently pretty much got off of social media. I, um, I deactivated too. my, I know, right. I deactivated my Instagram account and like, I have a few fleeting moments of FOMO here and there, but for the most part, it's like freeing. Right. So Amen, sister. Uh, it's, it's great. So like, I'm not really on social media. You can find me on LinkedIn probably. And if, I don't know if you have a pro account, you can send me a message. Like you can do that. Sure. But if people want to get a hold of me, the best way is through my website. It'll send me an email right to my email and then we can connect from there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time and your energy, Tabitha. I'm greatly appreciative. And it was so nice to meet you. Thank you so much, Tracy. This was great. Thanks for listening. For more on this guest, simply check the show notes. Like what you hear? Please subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Together, we can grow and inspire.